0: Well, hey, good morning, River Glen. Great to see you, great to be in here in the room with you. Welcome to all of you who are here in the room in Waukesha. Welcome to everybody who is watching online from either wherever or whenever you're watching this. Hey, I want to say a big welcome to anybody and everybody who came out to Trunk or Treat on Friday night, especially if you're back here today for your first service with us. I want to say an extra special welcome to you. Hope you enjoy it. And of course, lots of love for all my friends over in Pewaukee this morning. Hope you guys are having a great weekend. My name is Jason, and I get the incredible privilege to serve as the pastor of our awesome campus over in Pewaukee, and I am so excited to be here with you this morning. Before we get into the message, though, I want to invite all of you in here, and everybody watching online, and everybody over in Pewaukee, come back next week. We are kicking off a brand new series called Achilles. Now, if you're familiar with Greek mythology at all, Achilles was known for being incredibly strong, but also for having one key weakness, And so today in our culture, it's kind of common vernacular to say that if you have a a weakness or a vice, you have an Achilles heel. And so come to this series and we're going to be exploring what the Bible says is mankind's greatest Achilles heel. You're going to have to come back next week to find out what it is, though. So hope you join us for that. Today, we are wrapping up our series on ghost stories. And I want to see if you can guess what this is. Yes, it's a Starbucks drink. But which Starbucks drink? I'm going to give you a couple of hints. It was first created in 2003, you won't believe this, to date, Starbucks has sold 424 million of them worldwide, which is pretty good, considering you can only get it three months out of the year. Everybody say it out loud, what is it? (laughs) This is the wonderful and amazing pumpkin spice latte, and I got to tell you, it's good. It's really good with 50 grams of sugar in it, it better be good, right? (laughs) But there was a moment, there was a moment, not too long ago, where it wasn't that good. This drink got in a lot of trouble. I don't know if you remember this. Big controversy, back in 2014, a food blogger was doing a little bit of research and she exposed a dirty little secret that Starbucks had been holding onto. Some of you remember this. Apparently, the pumpkin spice latte didn't have any actual pumpkin in it. It was fake! They were selling counterfeit lattes all over the world, right? Now, I know, a lot of us weren't that surprised by that, but many people were deeply offended. America threw a fit, and this is way before cancel culture was even a thing. Starbucks received their rebuke and then went back to the lab. A year later, they re-released their most popular seasonal drink, only now the pumpkin spice latte is legit. It actually has pumpkin in it. So. Have one this season. Mm, 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 mm. Hope you enjoy it. Here's the point nobody likes a fake, do they? We don't like counterfeit anything, do we? Especially when it comes to our caffeination. Right? We want the real deal in every area of our lives. We want real when it comes to our relationships. We want real when it comes to our purpose and our calling and our contribution in this life. And we especially want real when it comes to our faith and our spirituality. And so today, we're gonna look at this final ghost story about a guy who got caught up in counterfeit spirituality. He settled for a fake and it got him in trouble. And so we're gonna be in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, if you brought your Bibles with you or if you wanna look it up on your phones. And a little bit of context before we dive into the story. This story takes place in around 1010 B.C. Uh, the nation of Israel is once again at war with their arch enemies, the Philistines. And there are three people in this story that you want to pay attention to. The first is a man named Saul, who was king of Israel at the time. So we have King Saul. Second person is the prophet. Anyone want to know? Samuel. Yep, I heard it. The prophet Samuel. The prophet is just a fancy name for a messenger. He was sort of, he was sort of Saul's kind of spiritual advisor or spiritual director, and he had just died. Just before this story happens, and the third person is a spirit medium. a Spirit medium. Now, history doesn't tell us what her name was. We just know that she was a spirit medium. Now all this kicks off, First Samuel chapter 28, starting in verse number four. We're going to put the words up on the screens to follow along. It says this: The Philistines set up their camp at Shunem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. Now, that last line is why I love this story so much, because it is so relatable. Every single one of us in here knows exactly what it feels like to be frantic with fear, because we've all been there. Every one of us has been stuck at some point where we didn't feel like we had any good options. We've all felt fear or felt overwhelmed. Every one of us and everyone watching online has all been in a situation that we weren't prepared for and we didn't know what to do. And so the big question we're gonna go after this morning in our time together is just this. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Some of you are in that situation right now. Some of you right now are are stuck between two tough decisions and you don't know which direction to go. Some of you are getting some news from the doctor and the doctor says, I don't have good news and bad news. I just have bad news. A lot of us are stuck in this right now because we look at our 401k and it looks more like a 401 can't, right? We can all relate to how Saul was feeling in this moment. So let's see what happens. Verse number six, he asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. Now, I do think it's important to recognize that at least Saul did the right thing first. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Turn to God, right? We would know that. Now, we're going to dive in a little bit more later exactly why God was silent to him. But what Saul does next is the turning point in our story. Here's what it says. Verse 7, Saul then said to his advisors, find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. His advisors replied, there is a medium at Endor. Now, for the Star Wars fans in the room, this is not the same Endor where the Ewoks live. Sorry to disappoint you, right? But for everybody else, if you're not sure, what is a medium? A medium is someone who is reputedly able to contact the world of spirits, all right? Following me so far? All right, here we go. Verse number eight, this is where it gets interesting. So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes. Then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who has died, he said. Will you call up his spirit for me? Are you trying to get me killed, the woman demanded. You know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult with the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? Now this part of the story kind of takes a sharp left turn and we realize something feels wrong here. He's wearing a disguise, they're sneaking around at night, she's all combative and fearful with him. It's clear to me that we've gone outside of the bounds somehow. Something is off. And that part in there where it says that the mediums had been outlawed, that's important. We're also going to come back to that. A little bit later. Here's what it says next, verse 10, but Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, as surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Finally, the woman said, well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul replied. Again, what is the relationship here? Samuel was a prophet. In the Old Testament, a prophet was a messenger. In Saul's case, Samuel was his conduit to God. For years and years and years, anytime Saul got in trouble or didn't know what to do, he would go to Samuel, and Samuel would go to God on his behalf. So that was the relationship there. Here's what happens next. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, "'You deceived me! You are Saul!' "'Don't be afraid,' the king told her. "'What do you see?' "'I see a God coming up out of the earth,' she said. "'What does he look like?' Saul asked. "'He's an old man wrapped in a robe,' she replied. "'Saul realized it was Samuel,' and he fell to the ground before him." Now, those couple of verses right there are what qualifies this story to be a ghost story, right? The spirit of a dead human being has now been conjured up and is hanging out in this woman's living room. This is where it gets weird. But there's a couple of things that I want you to see in these couple of verses, right? One big question is probably in all of our minds, is just, is this real? Can I believe this? Does this actually happen? Do mediums actually exist, and is this a possibility? And i got to tell you, on the authority of Scripture, yeah. It appears that this is real, that mediums do exist. According to Scripture, the act of invoking the spirits of the dead is not only possible, it's real, and it's been recorded in history for us. But before you get too far ahead, the second thing I want you to see in this, this passage, not all mediums are real. Before you get on Yelp and try to find a a good one nearby, not all mediums are real. Unfortunately, a lot of them are really good actors, and they're far more concerned with invoking your wallet than anything spiritual. Now, as for the few mediums that do actually exist, we're going to talk a little bit later about whether they're good or bad, so stay with me. Here's what happens next. I love this line. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back? Samuel asked Saul. This guy's been dead. He made it to paradise. He served God his whole life. He's in paradise now. He gets ripped back to our planet. And the first words are, dude, what are you bugging me for? I don't know. I just think that helps me believe the, 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 the reality of this story a little bit. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back? Samuel asked Saul. Because I'm in deep trouble. Saul replied. The Philistines are at war with me and God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I have called for you to tell me what to do. We can all hear the desperation in Saul's voice in those verses. And again, this, you guys, this is why I love this story, because we've all been there. We all know what it it feels like to not know what to do. And every single one of us has got some sort of default uh, uh, thought process or behavior that we rely on when we're stuck or afraid or we don't know what to do. Whether we know it or not, we've got something that we do to get us through. In Saul's case, he chose to go see a spirit medium to find the direction that he needed, and unfortunately for him, things didn't turn out well. Let's finish our story. Last couple of verses, starting in 16. But Samuel replied, Why ask me, since the Lord has left you and become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival David. Now, that last detail. I just think it's fascinating. What happens? Saul goes through all this trouble to find a medium and conjure up the spirit of his dead prophet. And what does his prophet say? You already know the answer. God has already told you what to do, and he's already told you what he's going to do. Now, you might not like it. You may disagree. It might not fit in your vision or in your plan, but it ain't changing. It is what it is. And I wish I could say God did change his mind. I wish there was a happy ending to this story. Unfortunately, there's not. History will record that the story of Saul ends right here. The Philistines and the Israelites go to battle the next day, and Saul and all of his sons are killed. And that is the end of their story. The whole thing sounds more like an episode of House of the Dragon than a nice, cozy children's bedtime story, right? But again, it is what it is. So what does this mean for us? By the clock, we're 3,000 years ago that this happened. What does this mean for all of us today? What do we do with all this? Now if you're like me, you read or you hear a story like that and you walk away with more questions than you have answers. And so I just thought in the few minutes that we have this morning, let's talk about some of these questions. Probably the first question that comes to mind if we were all to kind of converse about this is, why would he do that? Why would Saul choose to go to a medium? Why make that dangerous decision? And as we've talked about, we, he, we, we know he felt stuck, right? Caught between two tough decisions, and he felt afraid, frantic with fear. And we can all relate to that, but I think Saul was guilty of a third motivation that probably most of us are guilty of too. Saul was impatient. You ever get impatient? I get impatient. My wife just yelled, amen, all the way from the Pewaukee campus. Did you guys hear that? My word, right? <laughs> Impatience, here's the problem with impatience, it makes us do dumb things. We we lose our perspective, we forget our values, and we do dumb things when we get impatient. You ever want proof of this? Just hop on YouTube and type the words, road rage, and you will see an enormous amount of videos proving that humanity does dumb things when we get impatient. And so what do we do? Well, hurry sickness, right? this constant need for urgency is such a problem in our culture today that river Glen is going to do an entire series on this in the month of january we're calling it the ruthless elimination of hurry and i promise you you do not want to miss it you're going to want to be a part of that so saul was impatient and he was insecure and when those things come together and crisis hit he did what most people would do he chose the easy path no question it wasn't the right path but we can at least understand why he made that choice, but that brings us to the second big question, why was it the wrong decision, all right, or well, let's call a spade a spade, are mediums good or bad, are they good or bad, and, and for the sake of our conversation, right, since it's all of us here, let's bring in all the different types of, well, I'll call them alternative sources of spiritual direction, right, are all these things good or bad, now what am I talking about here, I'm talking about palm readers. Talking about tarot cards, talking about horoscopes, Ouija boards, astrology, crystals, and I'm even talking about this. (laughs) Remember this guy, right? The magic eight ball. The idea is you're supposed to ask it questions, and it's going to give you the direction for your life, right? Whatever's, Whatever's really pressing on your mind right now. So let's try this. Let's see if it works. What's pressing on our mind right now? Is the pastor going to go long today? Signs point to yes, (laughs) right? What else is on our mind? Uh, Ooh, here's a touchy one. Are the Packers gonna remember how to win football games? (laughs) Signs point to yes, we're good, all right. (laughs) Wanna hear something fascinating? The Magic 8-Ball was created in 1946 by a young man whose mother was a full-time clairvoyant. She was a full-time spirit medium dabbling in the occult. He observed her using a device similar to this when she worked with her clients. So think about it, this seemingly innocuous device is modeled after an occultic tool. It's designed as a toy, and it's sold all over the world. The company that owns the patent on this sells about a million of them a year right now. Isn't that interesting? Now, one thing that we have stressed this entire series is this idea that as followers of Jesus, we believe there's more to this life than what we can see. We believe there is a spiritual world beyond what our eyes can register. And not just a spiritual world, we believe there's a spiritual battle happening every single day, everywhere we go. And the prize in this battle is you and me, our souls and our attention and our devotion. Paul talks about this battle like this. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, what we can see, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Make no mistake, we have an enemy, and our enemy will use any means necessary to distract our attention and our devotion from our true identities as sons and daughters of our heavenly Father. And the magic eight ball and all these other devices and alternative forms of spiritual direction I'm talking about, They all fit in that category. They're distractions. They're dangerous. Now, I know we're dabbling into some sensitive waters right now. I get that. Because a lot of us have experimented with some of these different things. Probably a lot of us in here know somebody or we even love someone who regularly uses these alternative forms of spiritual direction to find direction in their lives. And and listen, hear me when I say this. Being spiritually hungry is a good thing. It's a good thing, I believe God puts that hunger in every single one of us, but I think he puts it there so that he can be the one who satisfies it, not any of these other things. So I think the answer to our question, really at least the key to the answer to this question, is it good or is it bad, comes in verse nine of our story where it says that Saul had outlawed the spirit mediums and anyone who messed around with the spirit world of the dead. Why would he outlaw them? Well, because as king, he had the authority to make all the laws of the land. And when he made those laws, he mirrored most of the laws that God had given. And in the book of Leviticus, the original God's law, verse, uh, in Leviticus it says this, Do not defile yourselves by turning to mediums or those who consult with the spirits of the dead. I am the Lord your God. And we don't use the word defile very often. It just means to ruin or to spoil. So think of it like um, getting a stain on a brand new dress or getting a dent in your brand new car. The bottom line is these things are dangerous. They're distractions. They're counterfeit spirituality. Jesus settled the debate for all time in the book of John when he declared, I am the way and the truth and the life. You want to find your way? Do you want to receive truth? Do you want to enjoy life? Jesus is saying he is the only one we need to look to. None of these other things. Which brings us to our last question. All right, well, how can I then, how can I access God's power when I'm stuck or I'm in trouble? Or to ask it a different way, what should we do when we don't know what to do, right? What should we do when we don't know what to do? And guys, here's the best news of the whole morning. You and me, because, and all my friends over in Pewaukee, all of us, because of what Jesus did on the cross, like we talked about earlier, because of his death and his resurrection, we have all been given three gifts that Saul didn't have. Three things we have to be able to navigate and make wise decisions and find our way. Right? If you're stuck, or you're in trouble, or you're afraid, or you're just trying your best to figure out what God's plan is for your life, we're going to talk about three things you can do today to let God show you the way. For a lot of us this is just going to be a reminder, but for some of us you've never been taught these before. So let's dive in. What do we do? when we don't know what to do. I think the first tool is quite simply this. Just read your Bible. To Read our Bibles. If we want to know what God has to say, let's read what he wrote, right? Second Timothy says this about the Bible, that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. I love the word useful there. Another translation says beneficial, and another one says profitable. The bottom line is there's help in here. This is a helpful book. But I know what some of you are thinking. I at least know what some of you have been told. How can this book be so helpful when it's so old? Right? At best, it's antiquated. At worst, it's irrelevant for our culture today. That's what a lot of people think. I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. I don't necessarily agree, but let's talk about it. A couple of weeks ago, I'm having dinner at my house. It's just me. And my two kids and they're sharing with me some of the things that they've been learning and lately they've been learning about the 10 commandments and so they're telling me all the stuff that they they've been learning about this and part of my role as their father is to kind of kind of temper their faith right i push back a little bit to strengthen their convictions why well because we just don't want kids with faith we want kids and students with resilient faith right faith that can stand up to the scrutiny that they're going to experience out in the world and so my daughter finishes telling me her understanding of why the Ten Commandments are so important. And I push back a bit and I say, okay, honey, I, I get that, but I don't know. If the Bible is so old, how can it make any difference in my life? My daughter says, well, because you're old, Daddy. <laughs> yeah, she's not wrong, but, uh, but now she's out of the will. So, <laughs> but seriously though, When I hear the rebuttal that the Bible is too old to apply to my life, here's what I'll usually say back. Okay, I mean, outside of iPhones, electric cars, and Venmo, how is our world today so much different than the world back then? Right? If we were to go back to the first century, and we were to talk and look at what did the world look like back then? I'll give you some hints. World powers were at war with each other, right? There was lawlessness and rebellion everywhere you looked. There was political tension, racial tension, economic tension. Truth was considered subjective, and everybody just did whatever they wanted to do. Any of that sound familiar? Yeah. And so the words in this book, the words of the New Testament, helped Jesus' followers in the first century overcome all those challenges and go on to make an incredible difference in the world. And they've helped every generation since do the exact same thing. The writer of Hebrews talks about scripture this way, he says, for the word of God is living and active. It's not antiquated, right? That means the words in this book are not just timely for our generation, they are timeless for all generations. But in order to unlock its power, what do we gotta do? You gotta read it, right? The Bible you don't read won't help. You gotta read it, and I get it. Where do you start? on such a big book? Well, the first step is very easy. It's getting a Bible. And if you're here today or if you're in Pewaukee today and you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible today as our gift. And if you're watching online, drop us a line in the chat and we will send one to you. Everybody, everybody should have a Bible. Once you have one, let's talk about a resource that will help you start to read your Bible or if you already read, help you improve how you read your Bible. And it's a resource called Right Now Media. Right Now Media is an app that you can put on your phone, or on your tablet, or on your smart TV, and think of Right Now Media as the Netflix of Bible studies and Christian content. There is literally 10,000 hours of content on this app, everything from children's programming all the way to college-level theological training, and everything in between. There's studies on there for individuals, there's studies on there you can do as a family, studies you can do as a group, all of it, it's all there, and it's all completely free. But not for everyone. Right Now Media is actually a paid subscription for anybody outside of here. But because some of the families at River Glen are so incredibly generous, anyone who calls River Glen home gets access to Right Now Media completely free. You can stop by the connect wall in our lobby at either of our campuses after service. You can drop us a line in the chat or you can just go on our website and find out how you can unlock your access to Right Now Media and begin to engage with the words in this book and apply the scriptures to your life and the truth that's in there. So step one, what do we do when we don't know what to do? We read our Bible. Step number two is we pray. We can pray. You say, well, that sounds easy enough. Why is that a big deal? Think about it, in our story, Saul had to go through a mediator to get to God. In our situation, because of Jesus, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we've been given a relationship, an invitation to a relationship with God, so all we have to do, look up, open our mouths, and we can talk to our Heavenly Father. That's incredible, you guys. An incredible opportunity we have. Not only that, James, the brother of Jesus, here's how he describes our prayers that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. But here's the problem. We tend to think that in order to pray, we got to say just the right things, and we got to say it in just the right way in order for it to be powerful and effective. And that's just not true. The value of prayer is in consistency, not complexity. Prayer is just talking to God, being real. What's on your mind? What's in your heart? What's in your gut? And doing it often. One of the best prayer warriors I ever knew was my friend Peter. I'll never forget the first time Peter prayed for me. What struck me about the way he prayed was not the the fancy words he used or his eloquent style or his vast knowledge of the scriptures. He didn't use any of that. What struck me about the way Peter prayed was the tone in his voice. You see when peter prayed it was clear to me he was talking to someone that he talks to every day his voice just sounded calm and comfortable and connected and i'm listening thinking man i want to pray like that someday and it occurred to me maybe the key or the goal is not to try to pray greatly the goal is just to pray daily and an easy prayer you can pray every single day is just this god I need you fill me with your power today because i can't do this without you so what do we do when we don't know what to do first we read our bibles second we pray and the third piece is to obey just obey the words that god has given us why was god silent to saul well, if you go back earlier in saul's story it's because saul had disobeyed him willfully and knowingly, he disobeyed him. Now, sin always breaks the relationship between two people. And if we seriously want to understand and learn God's will and direction for our lives, then the first thing we got to do is take a look at our lives. And I'm no different. i got to do the same thing. we got to ask ourselves, is there something in our life we know we shouldn't be doing, but we do it anyways? Regardless of the consequences or the warnings we've been given. And see, a lot of times, we tend to overthink what God's will is for our lives. We get stuck on the, does God want me to go here or go there? Does God want me to do this or do that, right? We get stuck too, too much on the details. I was taught that 80% of God's will for our lives is moral. What do I mean by that? I was taught that God is way more concerned with how we live than where we live. He's way more concerned with how we work than where we work, how we go to school than where we go to school. Here's a big one. God is way more concerned with how we're going to act and honor him in our relationships than who we get in a relationship with. That's huge, you guys. So Sometimes we get too stuck on worrying about what God wants us to do instead of just letting him develop us into the people he wants us to be. And if there's an area in your life that needs a little help, you need a little attention, we would love to help you. That's what the church is for, right? Talk to a pastor. Or stop by our Celebrate Recovery meetings on Monday nights. Everybody's invited to Celebrate Recovery. Why? Because everybody's got some kind of a hurt, habit, or hang-up they need a little help with. So get some help. So put all these things together, right? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Read, pray, and obey, and God will show you the way. Even my kids can remember that one. Read, pray, and obey, and God will show you the way. We don't think about this, but sometimes being stuck or afraid or not knowing what to do, it can actually be a gift because it reveals our helplessness. And I don't know if you know this, but our Heavenly Father is not bothered. He's actually honored when we tell him how much we depend on him. When we declare our dependence to him, he's not bugged by that, you guys. He's honored by that. Can I share with you a time when I was completely and utterly dependent on God? Take a look at this. My son was one hour old when that picture was taken. And yes, we were just overwhelmed with joy and with love, but if you look in my eyes, you will see a man who was terrified. (laughs) I didn't know how to be a dad. I mean, I saw one on TV once, but I didn't know how to be one. It was in that moment that my wife and I wholeheartedly declared our dependence on God. And we said, we're not going to try to be perfect parents. There's no such thing. We're going to just try to be faithful parents. We're going to use the tools that we've been given, and we're going to rely on God every day on this journey. And do we mess up? Yeah, of course we do. We all do. But when we mess up, here's what's so great, it's so easy and it's so clear to get back on track. Why? Read, pray, and obey, and God will show you the way. And this doesn't just apply to parenting, you guys, this is every area of our lives, our relationships, our families, our work, our careers, our callings, our gifts, how we manage our finances, all of it, read, pray, and obey, and God will show you the way. We don't have to settle for counterfeit spirituality. We can go straight to the source of love and truth and power. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Read, pray, and obey, and God will show you the way. The band is going to come up, and they're going to play our last song today, and it's a song called Yes, I Will. And I hope this song will be a declaration for you to say, all right, God, I'm going to follow your way now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that despite our pain and our frustration and the burdens we we face and the fears we face and the disappointments that we have to endure in this life, God, thank you that you have actually made it easy to receive your power and to respond to the direction you have for our lives. God, as we sit here today uh, in Waukesha and in Pewaukee and online, We are men and women, husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and students and adults. Some of us have been following Jesus a real long time. and Some of us are brand new to faith, God. But we all agree, we are longing for your direction and your love and your will for our lives. God, please help us to go there. I pray, Lord, that the the words of your Bible would come alive for us. Give our minds uh, the ability to understand it and our hearts the ability to follow it. God, I pray that our prayer time with you would be incredible, that we would be comfortable speaking to you and you would meet us there with your spirit. God, I pray that you'd give us all the ability to honor you with our lives. And I pray this all in Jesus' name.